Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Cherry Fisher May, co-publisher and event producer for End Media, including ABiz, Acadiana's business magazine. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Cherry Fisher May, and welcome to Out to Lunch. Today, I'm sitting in for Peter Rusciutti. I don't have any research from NPR, Out to Lunch, or ABiz to back this up, but statistically, I'd estimate per square inch, there's more great food in Acadiana than anywhere else in the nation. And because you live here, and maybe were even raised here, you know all about it. But unless you're friends or family, I'd be surprised if you know about the food career of Jennifer Jackson. Dr. Jackson is CEO of Keystone Nutrition, a company she started in 2014. Jennifer's food and nutrition clients include five parish jails, Lafayette, Livingston, St. Charles, Tangipahoe, and Terrebonne. Jennifer also consults for the Louisiana Office of Juvenile Justice, the Lafayette Juvenile Detention Home, WIC, or WIC, a nutrition program for low-income women, and Whole Foods. Jennifer, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. In the Department of Specialty Food Careers, Bob Carricker has a special seat at the table, known affectionately as Dr. Boudin. He is actually a PhD and professor of history and department head at UL. Bob is Acadiana's Boudin Authority and the author of the recently published book, Boudin, a guide to Louisiana's extraordinary link. He's also creator of Acadiana's biggest sensation in 2015 in the food world. That would be, of course, the Boudin King Cake. Bob, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you very much. Nice to it's meet you. It's great to be here. Well, Jennifer and Bob's slice of the food business might be unusual or eccentric, but if you're looking for something truly nutty, meet J.D. Regard. J.D. is the chief nut officer at the Cane River Pecan Company, and that's, of course, a C-level position that's unique, probably the Cane River. J.D. took over the family business in 2002, and he found a unique niche in the nut market, corporate gifts. So what says, let's make a deal better than a customized tin of pecans with your company logo on it, right? Apparently so. It sure works for us at ABiz and in media. And the B2B nut business is booming. So, J.D., welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you very much, Jerry. We're going to start with Jennifer. So our assumption is that there are some places where the food just sucks, like schools and hospitals and airports. <laughs> but and the lowest Crowley. of the low, <laughs> the lowest of the low of all, you might imagine, would be bad food in the jails. So do all jails employ nutritionists, or is it because this is Acadiana and great food is important to us, uh, our culture and our people, does the focus of good food extend all the way into the correctional system and, and parish jails? It does, Cherry. Um, there are, um, every parish does have a jail, and they're required to have a dietitian to contract with them. 
Uh, I do something unique. I'm the only person in Louisiana who does this full time. Most of the dietitians that work at the correctional centers, um, parish jails, tend to be um, working at, like you said, the schools, nursing homes, hospitals. I just kind of fell into this, uh, starting off working at the juvenile detention home, and then I got a call from the sheriff's office. Their dietitian had retired after 30 years, and they asked me to come and work for them. And I decided this is something I wanted to do full time. So since I sent my bio in to you, I'm actually at nine parish jails. So um, and what parishes did you add? Um, St. Mary, St. Martin, and Iberia. Awesome. So awesome. excited to do that. That's a, I look forward to talking more about the entrepreneurial side of what you do, uh, cool. as well as the professional side. But we're going to turn now to Bob, your kickoff question. Okay. Uh, there's probably nobody listening to this program who hasn't at least heard about your Boudin King cake. Let's hope. And judging by the overwhelming response when you unveiled it in Mardi Gras of this year, mm -hmm. most of us have tried at least one small piece that somebody saved for us, unless we gorged on the whole thing ourselves. Right. What did you envision the market to be for the Boudin King cake? Well, so the thing is, I don't. there is no actual market for me. See, I don't sell Boudin. I don't make a product that I sell on the market. Mm -hmm. I, I have a website where I review uh, food and boudin and so I made this as just um, a fun thing to do to encourage sort of creativity and it took on a life of its own from there and twins um, burgers and sweets actually started bringing it into production because I have absolutely no business or capacity to do something mm -hmm. like that um, it went completely viral and has been tremendously successful for them, certainly. But for me, um, I'm getting paid in, in uh, hamburger credits. That's <laughs> one of the best burgers in town. It's you a good got place it. To get it is. I'm, not, I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm not complaining one bit. Well, so before we move on to JD, then tell me just a little background about the how the combination was. Was it uh, over over a good, a good uh, you know parish? Brew it or wasn't that either, <laughs> actually. It was me sitting alone in my office at home thinking, what can I do to sort of drum up some interest in two websites that I have? So I have a website where I go out and review Boudin. I've done over 200 Boudin reviews, and that gets a tremendous amount of interest. And then I created uh, a similar website where I go out and I review and rate King Cake. Um, and that's more up and coming and it's a little bit newer and so I thought well how can I merge this and maybe drum up some interest in what I'm doing and I I'm a home cook I'm a, a food oriented person and so I thought well look maybe I should merge these two things together and do to do a boudin and crackling king cake so it, it came from um, a place where I was looking to just do something fun something creative and draw some attention to these hobby websites that I have um, that celebrate our, our unique culinary heritage here. so the first one was actually concocted in your it kitchen was, at home it was concocted in my kitchen at home with um, ingredients that I went to the store that evening and purchased and then I posted it on my um, social media sites um, that usually no one much really cares about um, <laughs> but in this case they cared a whole lot about it and that led to the daily advertiser doing what was really a very small story on it um, and at the end of that story they asked me well where would someone get 
Buddha and king cake if they wanted one. And I had a moment on the phone during the interview where I thought to myself, well, geez, if I tell them that they can't get it because I just made one in my kitchen, then nobody talks about this anymore. And so I said, well, they can contact me, and I'd be happy to, to get them. A, a Which Buddha drove craft. even more traffic to your website. Right. And unfortunately, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of orders for this <laughs> item that I had, again, no capacity or business actually um, filling. Yeah, and so one thing led to another, and it did, in fact, become a tremendously um, uh, sort of loved um, Mardi Gras um, edition for 2015. We'll see what happens in 2016, but I know that, that a number of bakeries have uh, plans to take it further. I have an idea for the 2016 version. Does it include pecans? Absolutely, but it also <laughs> includes boudin. <laughs> I've had a boudin sweet potato pecan pie, Yeah, and that's no joke. That's no, a real no. deal. And so after the show, you and I are going to figure out a way to right. approach a bakery before you announce it so we get a royalty straight. Okay. And we'll get this taken care of on the front end. And you just announced it. I did. <laughs> and the baker will be named later. <laughs> it well, will not be, to be, de it, it, to be determined. It will not be me in my kitchen at home. I agree. <laughs> well, for all the KRVS listeners out there, you've just gotten a great sample of why J.D. Regard has had such a long and successful career at what he does. Uh, he was once the manager of sales for the Chicago Bears. Uh, you were also the general manager for the ice skaters, uh, Louisiana ice skaters hockey team, and the equipment manager of the LSU basketball team during the Halcyon Shaquille O'Neal days. I'm sure you have some Shaq stories you'll share with us later. You made a decision at one point to turn your back on that career, successful as it was, and you came home to take over a business that wasn't at the time as successful as what you've created since then. So did you get the idea to sell nuts to corporations while you were in corporate America, or did that hit you later after you came home to take over the family business? Well, actually, what happened was my father uh, bought a pecan orchard in 1969, and in the mid to early 80s, he opened a seasonal store in Natchitoches, Louisiana, on Front Street, so that uh, we could sell our pecans direct from the orchard. And it wasn't until later, a few years after that, that it was my mother who actually started the corporate end of our company. And she was the one who suggested to my father that we should get some of our pecans uh, contracted, uh, processed contractually with a sheller in Mobile, Alabama, bring them back to Louisiana. And she was going to try to hawk them to some of my father's friends who were other attorneys and uh, oil and gas people, insurance salesmen. And so the corporate sales has always been part of our DNA, so to speak. But it kind of languished for many, many years. Uh, and prior to my return from Chicago, I saw that it had kind of gone dormant almost. We were doing less than $100,000 in corporate sales at the time. And so I really felt like that was our great opportunity to go back to that, not have one or two large wholesale clients, but have thousands of corporate clients. And we could really concentrate on our margins would be a lot better. We'd have a larger, uh, more diversified uh, portfolio of clients so if something were to happen like we're seeing now in the oil and gas business where things are getting soft and some of my big clients are pulling back on their gifting 
but we can go into other areas like insurance, like law, like medical sectors and pick up some slack in those areas. And so really, it was a continuation of what had already been started, but we just got really intense about it over the last 10 or 12 years. What is your strategy to diversify geographically? You mentioned some of the industry sectors that you're moving into. Are you depending on web marketing, or, or, or what, is, what is your sales uh, strategy there? The great thing about my company is that even though we're located here in Louisiana, we're bound by no region. We ship our products globally because of the oil and gas business. It's not uncommon for us to send products to Africa, Singapore, you know, um, all over the place where these oil and gas companies are doing business. And so, and we also have companies that buy from us all over the country. Our largest client to date is in Iowa. We have a lot of clients in California. So we're, we're here, but we're not bound by any regionalism, so to speak. So our internet marketing, digital marketing, catalog marketing, postcard marketing goes out nationally. And so you have to pronounce all those other clients to teach them how to say pecan and oh, not there's pecan. The, there's, the, there's the pecan pecan debate. It happens. I tell people that a pecan is what my grandfather had in the car for a long road trip. But, um, you know, in South Carolina, <laughs> in South Carolina, where there's a lot of pecans grown, they call it pecan. They call it pecans and they say pecan pie and pecan pralines and it just doesn't sound right, right? It just sounds wrong. Mm -hmm. but, but do you really care what they well, call it? Well, yeah. As long I as they're if, buying if they're it? Buying, yeah, but we like to, you know, we like to put our own spin on everything in Louisiana. Of course, it just, I don't know, it just sounds right by saying pecans. Well, Jennifer, you know, you, you mentioned that you've very quickly scaled up your company. Mm -hmm. and, and it's one thing to go, I think it was from six to nine parishes, you mentioned. Correct. So that's 30% growth in yes. just a couple of years. Um, is that something that is likely to continue? I mean, do you actively want to pursue additional parishes? And if so, how would you scale up in, in that regard? Sure, absolutely. Um, I would love to work at every parish jail. In fact, um, I also want to work at uh, some of the prisons. I've had to uh, learn the whole language of corrections. There is a difference between jails and prisons, which lots of people don't think about. And when you say prison in Louisiana, people tend to think of Angola. There are 12 to 13 state prisons in Louisiana. Angola is not the only one. It's the one we most hear about because of the rodeo and especially from the past. I mean, one of the most deadliest uh, prison as well, I mean, in, in the country, in the world. Um, I also want to just comment on something because you had asked me about uh, the food in the jail and, and you had, it was such, such a timely conversation we're having right now. Uh, you'd be amazed at the uh, inmates and, and how well they can cook. I, I literally work in the kitchen with the inmates. I physically go to the jail cells and do nutrition consults with inmates. Um, but being in the kitchen has been interesting. In fact, just this week, I'm starting to work with some of the inmates on helping them with their cooking skills to cook more healthy. Um, we do get a fair amount of inmates who come in who've worked offshore, who've worked at some of the local restaurants. But as I mentioned, it's timely we're having this discussion because the president is pushing towards removing you know, the box that says you're convicted of a felony. And um, you know, these men are, and women, but it's men in the kitchen who are learning these skills they need jobs right. and so when they leave jails they and, and the prisons they need somewhere to go work right here in lafayette i mean people will say oh i will never eat prison food jail food who do you think's making the food in carabas at uh, outback at uh, golden corral places like that so um it is a much needed uh, trait a, a technique a skill that these men are learning and 
putting them to work. I mean, they need these opportunities so they can become productive citizens. So, so have you given any thought or would you be in a position, you know, given the growing farm to table movement, for example, are there opportunities on some of these properties to also develop the, the entire, you know, uh, uh, stream of, 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 of food production from, you know, lo growing it locally on the, on the property there at a prison or, or a jail if the, if the the environment is, is right, uh, all the way through to the, the final production. Absolutely. And Lafayette does it already. Lafayette has um, a vegetable garden um, where they are bringing in squash and zucchini and lots of fruits and lots of vegetables that inmates have probably never heard of or have never eaten. Mm -hmm. And so now I have the opportunity of incorporating a mixture of these vegetables into their meals. So again, when you think of prison food, um, jail food, so much has changed. Um, in fact, I always say they're probably eating better in jail than they did when they were out on the streets. So um, I know Lafayette does it. Uh, there are probably, I, mean, I know Angola does it. Um, you do have some state prisons where they are doing their own vegetable gardens, growing, again, learning some skills. Well, we're at that point in the show where I get to um, introduce the checklist. So we have a pre-prepared list of about not quite 50 questions, 38 questions, and I'm going to pick one for each of you. And uh, Bob, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, and let's see. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and what would you want to talk about? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, and I thought given your balance between academia and food blogging that there right. might be somebody in there. Yeah, that. there might be or just simply that I'm a, a, a person who now is at a point in my life where I think that wouldn't it be unique to actually get to have dinner with my grandfather? Oh, how um, awesome. Well, you know, and I, I've never thought about this, but, um, you know, I knew him as a young boy and a young man growing up. And then, you know, he passed away. It wasn't wasn't sudden or traumatic or anything like that um, but that would probably be interesting and you, you might you know now af in reflection have different sorts of questions for that person than you ever uh, thought to ask um, when when you had the opportunity and I get the sense that you're not from Louisiana so he's probably wasn't from Louisiana. no right he wasn't from Louisiana at all my my grandparents were from uh, st. Louis Missouri yeah and what would he think about a boudin king cake, I suppose? <laughs> if he could pronounce That's it. Yeah, if he could, yeah, if he could and pronounce it. And what do you say, I still have a hard pecan. time pronouncing it. It's one of my favorite giveaway words in this town. You can tell somebody from out of town if they can't pronounce boudin correctly. Yeah, you're right. They want to say boudin. Yeah. Just that little N slips out. You're absolutely right. I still have that problem. It's a giveaway word. Right. I mean, yeah. right. I'm originally from Spokane, Washington, and I'm Dr. Boudin. And I think I can sometimes get it out if I really concentrate, but I still want to put that N in there. Funny. Yeah, so you is. think your grandfather would be prouder of your accomplishments in academia or well, the boudin world? My, my grandparents expected that my career would be as a bathroom attendant, and they told me that growing up. So I suspect that they would be uh, simultaneously in disbelief and elated. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. On that note, I'm going to move on to Jennifer. Who has been the most helpful person in your life in getting you to where you are? Um, my grandmother. In fact, just listen to Bob speak. Um, it was an easy, uh, that's an easy question for me. Um, my grandmother grew up in the 20s um, in Virginia. And what's so amazing about her is she's an African-American female who went to college in the 20s. At that time, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So not only did you not hear of women going to college, but especially an African-American female. 
Um, she had the opportunity to meet my in grand- the south. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And um, the oldest of ten kids, um, mm-hmm. her father was a postman. Um, so interesting background that she had. She goes to um, Knoxville State and meets my grandfather again, another African American who got to go to college in the twenties, who became a <laughs> physician. Uh, my grandfather was actually the first black physician here in Lafayette. Oh, wow. And because of segregation and the time that they were living in, he didn't have hospital privileges. So uh, he had to work out of his house um, on Clay Street, which is now Evangeline Thruway, which will eventually be I-49. The house is still there. And um, my grandmother was an English teacher. So um, having that uh, background, having that, uh, that, that history um, to give me the foundation of where I am um, has just been tremendous. In fact, uh, uh, Dr. Saloon, I'm sorry, Judge Saloon <coughs> has told me stories of my grandfather. Oh, wow. And it, uh, every time I'm around Judge Saloon, it, it's so neat. And I recently found out my mother was named after Mrs. Saloon, Yvonne Saloon, oh, wow. spelled the same way, Y-V-O-N-N-E. And uh, Judge Saloon, one time uh, I had an opportunity to be around him, and he was telling me stories about how my grandfather would drive in the middle of the night when he'd have to go to Mississippi or other states because he would get pulled over for whatever reason. So just, I mean, I get chills now just thinking Mm -hmm. about this. I never got to meet my grandfather, but I did get to um, spend tons of time with my grandmother, Mm -hmm. and um, really she's the person that has made me who I am today, a strong woman. So, J.D., when you were a kid, were you in leadership or entrepreneurial ventures? Were you one of those kids that set up lemonade stands on the side of the road and did, did all that from, from, from the cradle? There was an, an event I attended recently, and we talked about great companies that started in garages, and I feel like we're one of those companies. Uh, my brothers and I were given an opportunity to start a pecan cracking company when I was nine years old. One so of those hand cracking No, things? it was actually a oh. mechanical cracker. My dad bought uh-huh. these two crackers in San Antonio, and he brought them home, and we had a family, mm-hmm. we had a little workshop that was off the garage, and we put the two crackers in there. I was nine. My younger brother was seven. My oldest brother was 13. So people would pick their pecans, and they would bring them to our house, and our business card, you, I still have copies of them. They used to say, after school and weekends only. <laughs> and literally, there would be people waiting at our house, getting off the bus. And we knew they were waiting to get their pecans. So they would drop off their pecans in, in, in paper bags and plastic sacks from the grocery store. And we would weigh them, and we'd crack them. And then we'd call and say, you know, Miss Cherry, your pecans are ready, and it's 10 cents a pound. And, and we had a new bag we put them in, and we folded it real nice and clamped their name on it. So it was a real nice presentation. And we made all of our money in high school until my youngest brother went to college, uh, running this company called the Nutcrackers. And wow. we have been in the, so I've been in the business my whole life and schlepping wow. pecans and cracking pecans and, and everything since I was um, since I was an infant. Well, and what what gave your, I mean, I guess your dad probably mentored you in in, in terms of even up to the packaging and the business cards and everything. You, That's pretty Jared, amazing. He used to sit. There's four of us at the table today for folks who can't see this, but we would literally sit around the kitchen table and every week we would divide the money that we collected. And my dad, knowing he would never make enough money to pay for those machines he bought us, mm-hmm. always took a fourth. And he was like the bank, right? So we had to pay the electricity bill for the phone because we had to make phone calls, let everybody know their pecans are ready. We had a little ad in the Daily Iberian, uh, said the Nutcrackers, after school and weekends, we had to pay our little ad to the Daily Iberian. 
and uh, we had to pay my dad a fourth and as the banker, so to speak. So he was really teaching some life lessons yeah. at that age. Well, the opportunity machine could learn a lot from that yeah, experience. Tell, tell Zach to call me. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. Tell Zach to call you. Well, you, so you developed your pecan street cred early. So, yep. Bob, how did you come about developing your street cred with the boudin and the king cakes? Yeah, so it, it really it goes back to um, my formative years. And... Um, I have th uh, two brothers, and we traveled a fair bit as a family, and so we would go out to eat. And one of the things that my dad would do after we would have a family meal is he would always have us go around and rate not just the restaurant, but the chef. And oh, so wow. so this is what we did, right? We, we, we rated and reviewed In St. Louis? Or no, no, this is in Spokane, okay. Washington, or wherever we were actually uh -huh. traveling around yeah. to. Um, and so he, you know, he instilled this idea that we could or maybe should be doing this sort of thing. I was always the, the big, uh, easygoing guy in the family, and I would give everybody a nine or a ten, and my <laughs> brothers were really hardcore going for twos and threes. And I'm like, Why do you have to be so mean? This guy's just trying to make a living in the kitchen. Um, and so, so that contributes to why I go out and review and rate foods. Um, but the other aspect to it is um, my father, when I was in high school, for some odd reason, you know, I mean, I guess as a parent, you always find something in your, your kids to sort of cultivate and reward and encourage. And so with me, he would give me his credit card and he would send me out to try new restaurants as they opened up in Spokane. Now, I think the reason he did this is because he was just hoping that I might get a date and, you know, he, he would encourage me to do this because I would get to take somebody with me. Um, but then I would come home and there wasn't some regimented thing where he said, all right, now tell me about this restaurant that I want to know. Um, but we would talk about it, and it was it was a fun thing. So I think these things kind of merge together in this this hobby that's blossomed into something more than than a regular hobby. What's amazing, the theme there is really you know how much family influences us, our parents right. and our grandparents, and in what we do when we when we grow up. Well, Jennifer Jackson and Bob Carricker and J.D. Regard. You could travel across the country and around the world and never sit at a table with three more interesting people in such totally unique aspects of the food business. And it's been great talking to you. I can't thank you all enough for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. So see you soon right, around so town, I'm sure. Much, thank you, Jerry. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Dr. Jennifer Jackson, the CEO of Keystone Nutrition. Boudin Authority, Dr. Robert Carricker, also known as Dr. Boudin, and J.D. Regard, the Chief Nut Officer at Cane River Pecan Company. You can find out more about Jennifer's Nutrition, Bob's Boudin, and J.D.'s Nuts by following the links on our website, krvs.org, and itsacadiana.com. Today's show has been recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermillionville here in Lafayette. Cafe V is open six days a week for lunch and dinner with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show is engineered by Chris Kehoe. Our researcher is Dominic Lloyd. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. Our theme song, Core Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. 
You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's acadiana.com and krvs.org. If you want to know what we look like, you can see photos from the show on our website and Facebook pages. These photos were taken by Gwen Oakwin. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Collie's Saloon, offering a complimentary airport shuttle and within a three-mile radius of reaching downtown to shopping and local restaurants. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM Radio Acadie. I'm Cherry Fisher-May, sitting in for the incomparable Peter Rusciutti. Thanks for joining me. We look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette.